The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Alex, how are you, brother? Man, it's good to be back and I'm flat, uh, glad you finally got to do your AMA, your long-awaited AMA. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, I did the, I know you haven't had a chance to listen yet, but... Uh, Probably did, won't. Well, that's a lot of respect there, bitch. Thanks. <laughs> Well, didn't you not listen to mine or something like that? Oh, if I recall, of course I'm not going to listen to yours, but I'm the cool one. <laughs> You're into this kung fu shit. <laughs> it was um, no, I did listen to yours actually because I, I listened to yours because I wanted an idea of how I should do mine. And Got then, it. So I just went in a different direction. Um, <laughs> well, so I mean, without obviously a number of our listeners have already listened to it, but without being too repetitive, um, just kind of for my sake, what kind of what kind of questions did you tackle? What kind of questions did you get? Uh, you know me, I've been hitting the head a lot, so I really don't remember too much. <laughs> but you know how I got into Kung Fu and, um, uh, you know, some of some I spoke about a little bit about what what JKD is to me. And um and uh, hey, you know what? Listen to the podcast. It's actually pretty damn good. I can't, okay, I can't fine. I'll listen to it. But uh, of course, that's my wife's phone. I, I tell her we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna record a podcast now, so let's 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 have the fucking phone on. Well, it's a, a a little. I don't think any of the listeners know that, but on most of the podcasts that we record, at some point, my youngest daughter, who's three years old, just walks into my <laughs> office back here, giving zero f's about the fact that I told her not to come in here during this time, <laughs> and will just start asking me for random stuff. And I'm usually good um, at kind of shucking her off to the side, and I can usually keep it away from you, so even you don't realize it. But like uh, during our podcast with Darren, uh, our, the boxing coach. Uh, my daughter Lucia came in here I think three times during that podcast <laughs> <laughs> which is oh, kind of funny uh, yeah so, uh, no, so I was going to say the, the AMA was a lot of fun um, my son John was like oh, let's just go do it and and uh, I don't know why I had like a I don't want to say an aversion to it I just I kind of was like oh no one wants to hear just me talk you know what I mean I'm like right. I'm, not the, I'm not the smart one you know it's like I'm and uh, but he's like, ah, oh, let's just have some fun. So I did. I did it with my son John asking me the questions. I kind of feel like, unlike you, matter of fact, I, I made fun of you a little bit on the pie, on on the AMA. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I said something like the effect of like, you know, uh, John said something like, you know, Alex's was like three hours long or something, and I said, you know, Alex is com- more comfortable talking, right. Than I am. I'm like, you know, Alex loves himself some Alex, you know. <laughs> I, said, so, I basically talk for a living. Right. So it's easy. I'm like, so, you know, I need someone to bounce stuff off of. I need like a, I need that. I can't just talk to a microphone. I, sure. I, I need to have someone there that I'm talking to. Right. You know, so uh, 
to, to make it work. But I, I thought it went much better than I was anticipating it was going to go. And um, I've gotten some positive feedback from it. So that was cool. And um, I hope that people listen. It's got a lot of downloads so far. So I hope yeah, it's, the, also, uh, it, it's also interesting in terms of like podcast formats because obviously like um, – a lot of podcasts work because the two, you know, they're like two partners who are kind of bouncing exactly off each right. other and that's a whole dynamic. But there are a number of podcasts that are also just like literally one person talking into the mic for the whole hour or two and they also get it to work. And I think um, yeah, it's curious like how, what the actual dynamic is that makes like one podcast where somebody's talking work and the other one like not at all. It's curious. Right. I mean, well, you know what? I guess it's all about the personality of the person doing it, you know? If you can hold, if you're confident in yourself and you can hold people's interest for that long, that's, you know, I mean, that's great. Listen, we're both from New York. We've seen people stand on a corner and talk for five hours. <laughs> to to a bunch of people that no one else can see. Right, exactly right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I remember when uh, Joe Rogan started creating, like, uh, within his podcast, I think it was last year, the year before, like, um, MMA-specific uh, podcasts within his Joe Rogan podcast. Right. And the very first one he did, he didn't have a guest for it. It was just him talking. And he was, like, constantly apologizing that, um, sorry, the, the other ones are going to have other people talking. It's not just going to be me and so on and so forth. But it was funny because he's kind of like one of the kings of podcasting. Right, right, and right. He, and he seemed really uncomfortable doing one by himself because he likes to have the conversation. But if you ever watch uh, Chael Sonnen, he does, I think, that bad bad guy ink or something right, like that. Right. He basically just talks to the camera and he just give, he opines on what's going on in right, MMA. Right. And it works great. So, um, yeah, I guess it depends on, on the format and, and the personality as well. Right, exactly right. And, and, and in that, you have more of that uh, you can sit there and talk and be interesting and hold people's attention by yourself. And me, I'm, I, I make people laugh and stuff like that, but it's it's more bouncing things off people. That's just tends to be our personalities. Right. Um, and I, part of the reason why you had to do the MMA, uh, MMA, I keep saying that today. What's wrong with me, man? I'm well, seriously jet lagged. You're, you're, you're a little <laughs> stupid. So. The, how's your MMA? How'd your MMA go? <laughs> your may mask meme, everything. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I was in Portugal. I was on vacation, which is the reason why we couldn't record. And uh, I think the MMA, MMA, man, what is wrong with it? AMA, what the fuck is wrong with you? AMA. So for for people who have traveled into other time zones, I'm still seriously jet lagged on European time. So I apologize. This uh, episode may be chock full of me saying uh, MMA instead of AMA, (laughs) among other things. And if I confuse Wing Chun with karate at some point, I hope you guys understand. Karate. So, uh, yeah, speaking of karate, there's a very short piece of footage of Bruce Lee that was just recently on Earth. I saw it today, and it was basically an interview that was for some TV or television archive, and they had a bunch of interviews in a longer format. They had Leonard Nimoy, which is actually – I don't know if you had a chance to see the other videos on there. No. Um, the, the whole thing, I think, is about 30 minutes long, and the Bruce Lee one is like two minutes. Um, but the very first one is Leonard Nimoy, and he's in full Spock. Oh, and, really? But he's um, talking as Leonard Nimoy, which is super fu- – and he's, like, super funny. He's, like – the interviewer's like, hey, you're showing some emotion. And Leonard Nimoy's like, yeah, Spock hasn't come yet. <laughs> so, But, like, it, it was it was just so cool the way he did it. And then so if you scrub about 11 minutes into it, of course, there are people who've cut the clip so you can just see the Bruce Lee one. Yeah, but yeah. if you see the full one, it's, like, the Bruce Lee thing is, like, 11 minutes into it. And it's cool because you see Bruce Lee ride up in this, like, cholo bike, which is, like, really funny. funny. It says Bruce Lee on the it side of the It says Bruce Lee on it, yeah, which is really cool. And, you know, it's kind of an impromptu interview, and Van Williams from Green Hornet is there. Okay, and... it's really cool, but we both know we know a group of guys now that are going to go ride fucking Bruce Lee on a bicycle. Yeah. And have, like, a copy of the official Bruce Lee bike. Yes, we know somebody, that that's going to be on someone's somebody's got somebody's got to own that bike <laughs> and bruce lee came and he was kind of funny and he was caught a little off guard and the interviewer was like so bruce i i hear you're from san francisco and he's like well actually i'm from hong kong <laughs> like and it's just really funny like the way the whole thing panned out and you know he explains the difference between karate and kung fu and so on and so forth and then the the super white interviewers like so do you have so do you have any karate schools down here? Which is like you 
idiot. He just told you he teaches kung fu, right? So even, uh, even, even like Bruce Lee, like someone said, like they asked him what the difference between karate and kung fu was. And he was like hemming and hollering for a couple of seconds. And someone off camera yells out, well, kung fu is more aggressive, right? And he was like, oh, it's more aggressive. Oh, uh, no, because Bruce said, um, uh, what, what was the, what he, was he used the word and then the interviewer kind of uh, 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 laughed at him or something like that or kind of, um, the oh, he, yeah, but he said, well, what is the difference between karate and kung fu? And he says, well, the way I teach it in my school, it's more uh, offensive. Right. And then the guy says, that, that means that be, you offend everybody or something like that. or And then uh, he meant, I mean, it's, of course, Bruce Lee's English. And he meant to see like he teaches a more aggressive style than for right, for but example, someone off camera yells out. That well, was Van Williams. That was Van Williams. Oh really? Wow, I didn't. That was a that. Green Hornet. Yeah, yeah. And so because he knew Bruce very well, so I think he knew what sure. Bruce meant to say. I don't. He wasn't trying to like mansplain or interject or something. He was like he didn't want the interviewer to get the wrong impression. Right, right, so, right. And then at the very end, literally the last thing he says, it's so cool because then the it, the camera pans to the, this bicycle that Bruce Lee was riding that says Bruce Lee on it, which is like so <laughs> funny. And then he's like. Uh, in that attack and defense are simultaneous. And then it just cuts out. It's like so great. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Great little like one minute clip with Bruce Lee. Like, and I, I don't, he might have been wearing suspenders or something. He's like wearing jeans and a short shirt. It was, it was very yeah, like, it was very casual. Like, but it was, but it's always great to see Bruce Lee again and just to like kind of hear him speak and, and see like, you know, kind of what a dude he was. I think it's so, so awesome. It was cool to see him in such a relaxed atmosphere. I, yeah. I don't I don't see I haven't seen the volume of Bruce Lee uh, footage that you have. You know, you're more. Uh, do you help open the candy that the whole world has to hear? <laughs> Sorry, it's it, it's actually a it's actually a throat <laughs> drop because my throat is killing me. I got a sore throat. Um, but like it was cool to see footage I've never seen before. Yes. Like, and it's been a long time since I've seen footage I've never seen before of Bruce Lee, you know? Yeah, well, he's been dead for 40-some-odd years. Right, well, there's people you know. I know that have tons of tons of Bruce Lee footage, footage, and, like, you know, but I think at this point in my life, I thought I had seen everything out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because, I mean, it gets posted on, on Facebook, you know, every yes. couple of months. Rare footage. Right, um, and it's something you've already seen, like, years ago. I saw years ago. Thank you, Lamar Davis. Um, Mar Davis years ago sent me these um, VHS tapes with all this Bruce Lee stuff on it, and this is like like the turn like the tournaments and stuff. The tournaments, um, the backyard stuff, all the backyard stuff. Training with uh, you know James Colburn and all the all the all this stuff you know, which I'm sure everybody's seen now, but back then, right? No one saw any of that shit. You know, that was a long yeah. time ago. That was. That had to be over 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. Lamar sent me that. So um, so back then, of course, I remember looking, you know, putting in the VHS tape and being like blown away by all the all the stuff that I'd never seen before. But now, right. so someone says, oh, you see the new Bruce Lee stuff. And I'm like, there's no new Bruce Lee stuff. And, yeah. And it was, it was kind of cool to see. Yeah, it's like when people say, like, oh, did you see that new footage of Yip Man? <laughs> and right. I go, like, did somebody release the Tang Sung video? And it's like, oh, no, it's the same video everyone's seen, right, <laughs> like, and, a million and, times. And on that note, folks, just a little thing. Take it from a, a, a seasoned YouTube podcast fucking celebrity. If it's on YouTube, you can't use the word rare. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing well, rare on YouTube. You can you can use it like the first time the video's posted right. and then a week later you have to change the title of that video. Exactly right because <laughs> you can't say rare Bruce Lee footage and it's the lost interview. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Bruce Lee did an interview for some Canadian TV guy? <laughs> right, exactly right. Right. Which is I you know think what? a really good and jump shot me to cut you off, but I think that yeah. interview was actually a really good interview. Uh, yeah, and it's the only complete one that we really have. Where right. it's not like you have a couple of those um, phone interviews, like Alex Ben Block and stuff. Right. But the, it's the only time you actually see Bruce Lee on camera in a complete interview because the Bruce Lee did about four interviews in Hong Kong. Actually, he did more, but like four famous ones he did on Hong Kong television, and they um, they're all gone. They don't exist anymore. Right. Um, because uh, some of these old 
like TV companies in Hong Kong, they didn't even keep those things as archive. They just erased over that stuff. They never thought any of that stuff would have value after they had originally aired it. And also I think some of the RTHK interviews he did, I think RTHK burned down and that stuff literally just burned away. So um, you see photos and some short clips of Bruce Lee doing some interviews in Hong Kong, but they, they don't exist anymore. And I have a friend who's a Bruce Lee collector. He claims that he knows somebody who actually has that and doesn't want to put it out there for fear of, you know, uh, incurring the wrath of the estate. But I think, but the estate doesn't own that stuff. That That's owned by whatever TV company originally published that. So I don't actually think anybody has it because I'm pretty sure they would have released it by now if they did. I think someone's just blown smoke. Right, yeah, well, you know. I remember, like, in my, uh, I'm going to say youth, but I wasn't that young. I should have known better. <laughs> uh, but when I was younger, when I first met Steve Golden, I had asked him, uh, oh, you know, do you have any other pictures of you with Bruce Lee other than the one that, of, you know, the group of five guys, you know? Right. And he said, well, there's another version of that picture. Um... <laughs> And there is actually, there's one with Inosanto in it. Uh-huh. You know, I think, um, I don't want, I don't remember who steps out, but like when they swap places, so mm-hmm. someone steps out, maybe, I, I don't know, someone steps out, let's just say Petit, but I have no idea who it was. You know, Bob Bremer maybe steps out and Inosanto steps in and they take a picture like that. So there is like, so there's two versions of that picture. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he said, I have, you know, both of those pictures, but other than that, I have no other pictures. And I remember saying to him, like, why? I mean, your teacher was Bruce Lee. Right. Why didn't you take a bunch of pictures with Bruce Lee? And he's like, sure. And he goes, because at the time I was training in a JKD school here in New York. And he goes, how many photos do you have of you and your instructor? And I'm like, well, none. I'm like, but he's not Bruce Lee. And he's like, right. But like, to me, he was just Bruce at the time. It wasn't like it right. was Bruce Lee, you know? It's, right, Exactly. You know, it's, but I, I did after that say like, you know, anybody I, I, I train with, I want to at least take a picture with them because mm-hmm. I, I want to have that memory. I want to be able to be old and someone say, Hey, did you ever meet so-and-so? And just right. not that, you know, not so much so I could post a picture on Facebook of me with them when they die kind of thing, but just that I had that memory. That's something to solidify that memory. Right, and I'm glad I did that. With you know, I only, I only got to, I, although I knew Jerry Petit really well in that I spoke to him on the phone all the time. I only met the man once, mm-hmm. and I was so happy that I took a few pictures with him because he was such a cool guy. He was just Jerry Petit was a fucking dude, man. He was a good guy, and I'm you know, I really would love to get one of his students actually on here one day to talk to him, talk about him. That had that somebody that had a real relationship with the man that could speak. He was such a cool dude. He had such a sharp personality. Mm-hmm. He uh, did, you, did you know Jerry at all, Alex? Or? I, didn't, I didn't, but you know what? Many years ago, he sent me a friend request on Facebook, and I was like super excited, and I answered it. But I never really interacted with him. But I always thought it was cool. He sent me a friend request. He's such a cool yeah. dude. Yeah, and he was such a good guy. You know, it was like he was just like. I don't remember how I, I, I think Steve Golden, I was on the phone because I used to talk with Steve all the time on the phone. And I, and, and I, one time he had mentioned that he, you know, was very good friends with Jerry Petit. And I said, yeah, I'd love to meet Jerry one day or talk to him. And he was like, oh, well, you know what? Is it right if I give Jerry your phone number? And I'm like, you fuck yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, he's not going to remember to do this. So I'm like, and like literally the next night the phone rings and it's Jerry Petit on the phone. Wow. And I was like, holy shit. So I'm like, what do you want now, Jerry? Now I was just like and, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, we got to talk to Jerry and he was just so insightful and so so much oh geez, I don't know. You know, the personalities, the old a lot of these guys have big personalities or have big personalities. I, I think that that's one of the things that made this group of Bruce Lee students so unique. The ones that got famous, at least, they have all these like big, strong personalities. You know, mm-hmm. different but big. And um, like Steve Golden is an awesome person. He's got this really funny, big personality. He can control a room with his personality, 
and um and 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 Jerry was the same way in that he can just command respect just by talking to him the way he spoke and he was he was I think he was I don't want to I don't I wish I I wish I was an eloquent speaker to get the point across that I want to say in the right way but like so much he was so much smarter than I picture pictured martial artists at the time. Most of the martial artists I knew at the time were these New York knuckleheads, you know, and a lot, and as you know, guys like me, guys that, you know, Hey, you know what? I could fight pretty good. Maybe I should learn a bit more of this. And we became martial artists. And when I, and when I got to speak to Jerry, there was an eloquence about him. There was a sophistication about him. And this, 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 this idea of this, he, this sophistication who also dropped the F bomb. It was like this, it was just this awesome thing, you know? And he started telling me some of the inside baseball, some of the, some of the behind the scenes stories about the, the dynamic of the Chinatown school that, that Steve never told me. Steve, you know, Steve drew a line at a different point in the sand than Jerry did as to, as to what stories he would tell. Steve, mm-hmm. Steve, was, Steve was always ultra respectful of the history of it but of the privacy of the history of it, right? Uh-huh. And Jerry, for some reason, took me under his confidence. And to respect that, I won't share any of those stories. But, um, you know, he started telling me about these things that they did back in the school. And just funny as hell. And I would be on the phone rolling, laughing. And, and then he would, he would just throw out some little tidbit of martial arts knowledge. And it would mind fuck you because you'd be like, wow. I never would have thought of that. Like I could be mm-hmm. doing this for a thousand years. I never would have thought of that, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I'm so happy I got to meet him. And when I met him, he was just such a gentleman. He, uh, he treated me so nicely. He treated me. He, the, the whole class, it was a seminar he was given and it was all Jerry's guys there. And he treated me like really special. He was just like, you know, oh, you know, you train with Steve. You had to know all this stuff already. And, and I'm like, dude, I, I just want to learn this so badly from you, you know? And it was, right. and I was, I remember I was at the seminar with like three or four of my guys. And we just had, we had the time of our lives, you know? It was just, Jerry was just this awesome dude. And I, uh, I am so happy. That's one of the major things I'm grateful for to the martial arts is that because of the martial arts, the martial arts were, were, were an awesome vehicle for me to meet outstanding people you know that i would have never met in my life had it not been for the martial arts right you know right. what i mean like you know guys like jerry petit and steve olden and 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 and, and guys that train with me that some of my closest friends on this earth you know chris kennedy and seth and dave and he uh, he shall not be named and 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 this much this this this, this 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 guy i do the podcast with i mean alex look me and you grew up in the same city we're not for martial arts. We would have never known each other. Right, right. And you know, now you're one of my closest friends. It's like, yep. it's just it's it's been a great vehicle for me to meet awesome people. Yeah, and, definitely. And I'm forever grateful to that. Yeah, I've met some douchebags, you know, <laughs> and um, you guys are going to run into that in any community. But uh, the fact that I met, you know, I got to meet so many awesome people is just. Uh, I owe I owe that to the martial arts, and, right. and I'm really happy about that. And you know, and now the podcast, yeah, the podcast has helped us reach out to other people. I mean, how many people have you and I now met because of this podcast? I mean, I went to a Steve Olden seminar. Oh, was it, I guess it was last year. Yeah, in upstate New York, I can't tell you the amount of people that came up to me and were like, "Oh, you're Big Sean from you know from the Dudes of Kung Fu." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you know, is Alex here? You know, I'm like, and I'm like, no, no, Alex, not allowed to come within, you know, 50 feet of a school. And, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was like, it was like this podcast. And, and some people, those people were really nice people. And I got to meet them because of Kung Fu. And I'm just so grateful to Kung Fu for that. Yeah. I think that's the thing that people don't realize when they, start taking martial arts especially when they make it a serious life commitment is the kind of windy road of like 
interesting people and things that are going to happen to your life that are going to change you forever, hopefully for the better. Like, I can't imagine my life at this point without martial arts. I've been doing it since I was eight years old, and I've been doing it professionally for 17. And most of my adult life has essentially been shaped by doing martial arts. I don't really have a base of friends outside of the martial arts, with the exception of people I maybe went to high school with or something. Right. Um, And even of them, it's only a very small handful of people I still have any contact with. And you're right. You meet a bunch of really weird people. Martial arts also attracts a lot of adults who have like unrequited issues about their childhood. Oh, yeah. Trying to live out some kind of superhero fantasy in their late adulthood that is never going to happen. You definitely have that. But uh, you also meet a lot of really genuine people, especially people who really love the arts and train really hard and do it for the love of it. These are people who in my opinion, live on a very different plane. Um, And that's why they're also oddly very relatable, you know? So, um, yeah, it's really great. And and I also, yeah, have to second your sentiment about how how great martial arts is in in, in that aspect. Right, and now through connections through the martial arts, through this podcast, through you, I've gotten to know now some of your students. Yeah. And on, on various different levels, you know, but like... Antonio, he's like one of the most awesome dudes in the world. I've only met him two or three times. Yeah. But the guy is, he's just so fucking awesome. The dude (laughs) is just so fucking awesome. It's like, I love this dude. It's like, I love his music. I love his smile. Man, I just love everything about this dude. Like, you know, he posts on Facebook and on Instagram, and I fucking smile. I'm like, man, I love yeah. this dude. He's, like, he's living his life. He's just cool, you know? Yeah, he's and in like, Australia right now, I think. He's yeah, a, well, yeah, he's you're in talking Australia about my student, that. Antonio Hart, who's a world-renowned uh, jazz musician. I mean, he's, like, actually really, really famous in the jazz world. And I, I taught somebody, uh, somebody, somebody visited me from, like, a, another country and was, like, wait, you know Antonio Hart? <laughs> like, to me, I'm like, yeah, he's my student. He's like, oh, I'm a huge jazz fan. You think I could meet him? And he wasn't in town at the time. So, uh, but yeah, it's really funny. And oddly enough, I have been recognized in foreign countries because of dudes of Kung Fu. That's funny. I, I was out with my students once in Hong Kong and some guy goes up to me, and goes, hey, dudes of Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him, and the guy was from Europe. He was like from Sweden or something like that. He was like one of our podcast fans, That's and it was awesome. super bizarre. That's so, <laughs> but awesome. also really great. Yeah, uh, and I had a student join shortly before I went on my Portugal trip that I just got back from, and he came up to me and he was like, "Oh, it's it's an honor to meet you. I'm a huge fan of the podcast." <laughs> That's and I was great. like, well, it's like it's super weird for me because I have this other vehicle now by which people kind of find me, which didn't exist before. And it's interesting the the outreach that the uh, the podcast has had. Yeah, you know, it's like I had mentioned on the podcast about my son getting married, and I got so many private messages from people like congratulating me. It was just so sweet, like you know, it's like, and these are people that I, like I'm not friends with on Facebook, you know. But I, uh, I started getting all these private messages and people were like, oh, I just want to congratulate you uh, on your son getting married and, you know, congratulations to producer John, you know. <laughs> and I just thought it was so sweet. I thought it was really nice. And I'm, uh, I'm really grateful to Kung Fu and to this podcast and I guess a little bit you, but, you know. <laughs> Speaking of really grateful, I'm actually happy to be back in the States. I just was on vacation for two weeks and vacation was really great. Uh, we brought the kids to Portugal. It was the first time okay. I was ever there. And uh, my f- we celebrated my father's 70th birthday. So uh, it was super cool. So we had a whole family reunion, especially the old German side of the family. Everybody was there. They came to Portugal and it was super great. And then Carol and I, we did the, the cool thing. We dumped the kids off to my parents. There you go. And then we drove uh, the rental car out to Spain and took a ferry to Morocco. So we just hopped over to Africa, which is just a one-hour ferry ride away from Tarifa, Spain, and uh, spent, uh, spent a night in Tangiers in Morocco, which was totally amazing. Um, That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of like, you know, my, my wife tends to get really hot headed about things not going according to plan, but I'm very oh, Taoist. 
Taoist and Wing Chun about these things. I'm like, ah, it is what it is. Like, we can't change anything. We can only deal with what comes our way, right? So when we arrived in Portugal, I had uh, originally uh, uh, rented like a like a Mercedes, like a small class Mercedes, because I got a really cheap price on it. It was cheaper than renting a Chevy here in the right, states. Right, right. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna get a nice car and you know ball it out in Europe, right? So we arrive in Portugal. We go to the rental car desk, and the lady's like, um, "Yeah, we don't have that Mercedes for you." Uh, and I'm like, "All right, whatever." She's like, uh, "We might have another car. Let me look." Oh, we have an Audi. I'm like, Audi's great. I'll take an Audi. Oh, sorry, we don't have an Audi, sir. We have a Mitsubishi. And I'm like, okay, whatever. My wife, I can already see steam coming out of her ears, right? Because not, not because like of the Mitsubishi being a vastly inferior car to a Mercedes, but because it's not the plan. It's not what we had planned, right? And I'm like, okay. And then so... The lady says, oh, and there is now a fuel strike in Portugal. All of the All gas, the gas stations, stations are closed and don't have any more gas. Oh, my and God. Then, <laughs> and then we're like, because oh, we're planning on driving all the way to the south of Portugal from Lisbon right, right, and then right, all the right. way into Spain and stuff. And then she's like, uh, yeah, the, most of the gas stations don't have any gas and the car has half a tank left. <laughs> and it was like, What? So that was that was literally within like thirty minutes of landing in Lisbon. Oh my so, god! Um, but I managed to uh, find a gas station in Portugal that was open and had gas, and I was able to keep it fueled. And and the trip was otherwise without that any kind scary, of event. That would be scary, man. That would be scary. Yeah, it was super amazing. You, and just, the weird uh... thing about this vacation was, uh, although the vacation itself was lovely, it was great spending time with the family. I promise not to do any Wing Chun during the vacation. Right. So because there's never been a trip in the, my adult life that wasn't somehow tied to doing Wing Chun, even if it's vacation. Like when I went to Bali in Indonesia, I still taught Wing Chun while I was there. When I go to Hong Kong, even when I'm there for vacation, I'm still doing Kung Fu shit, right? I can't avoid it. My wife is like, you're not going to do any Kung Fu stuff on this trip. So I was really good for about 10 days. I did no Kung I didn't even practice, which is super rare for me because I literally train every day. And that was the one thing that made me kind of miserable was not training for so many days, although the trip itself was great. So we arrived yesterday super tired. And the first thing I did today was like taught a two hour long pole class and then taught a two hour like Wing Chun class. And I'm like, I just have to get back into it because I just been missing it too much. It's, it's super difficult for me not to train and not to practice. And my brain is like bubbling the whole time while I'm there. We're looking at all this beautiful historical stuff and my brain is going like, how can I teach Paxel better? How can I do it? Right? Like my brain doesn't like stop thinking about that stuff. So now I'm finally back and I feel like, you know, I feel well rested from my vacation and I feel like, you know, ready to come back and do some work so it, it oh, all worked awesome, out dude. i guess that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. So, so i tweeted something the other day and then you tweeted back to me and then i thought yeah maybe we could make this a topic for tonight so uh someone on my twitter timeline i think yeah i think it was twitter posted a video and this person is supposedly uh a JKD instructor, but not a JKD instructor of any notes, like not not like a famous one or even I don't know if the guy's teacher's teacher was famous. And again, it's just some guy who claims to be JKD guy. And he goes like, yeah, here's a Wing Chun drill that I teach. And he had this like bit of a caveat, this warning before. It's like, this is just a drill. This is not real fighting. It's like he needed to make sure because – you know, the the first thing that anybody says in a comment is like, yo, it doesn't work like that in real fighting, which I totally understand. He was actually being like defensive to knowing that people are going to say that. Right. So he was sure. like, yo, I know this is a drill, but it's about developing sensitivity, which I always hate. I hate that term sensitivity. It's just so weird. I remember like one of my very first Wing Chun instructors before I did WT, he was a non-classical Kung Fu instructor from Seattle. He also hated the term sensitivity. He goes, sensitivity is what you have with your girlfriend. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I always thought that was super great. So it's like, we need forward pressure. And she said, we don't need sensitivity. Right, right, <laughs> so right, right, right That's right. like very funny. So anyway, this guy posts this drill and it is like every other weird, I don't know, like for me, there's like stuff you see Wing Chun people do. 
uh, of whatever lineage, like if it's Yip Man, traditional, classical, whatever Wing Chun you want to call it, you will usually see some drills or exercises where you can kind of guess what the origin or the idea is. Like oh, that's some kind of Pak Sao drill, right, some right, kind right. Lap Sao drill, some kind of Poon Sao Chi Sao, whatever, right? And then there's like this whole spate of like, and again, this is not a knock on JKD because I've never, I never saw Bruce Lee or any of his legit students actually do this stuff. But it's the stuff that gets put under the banner of JKD as JKD Wing Chun. And it's always like these weird, like, Paxo Lapso, or I call them Paxo Lapso orgies. Right. Where it's like, and it's super hyper repetitive. It's like, pack, pack, lap, pack, pack, lap, pack, pack, lap, pack, pack, lap. And it goes on and on and on and on. And then you change one thing, and then suddenly the drill flips, and it's like the same drill on the other side, but instead of pack, pack, lap, it's lap, lap, pack, lap, lap, pack, right? And it's like, that, 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 And it's so repetitive. And look, repetition is a mother of skill. I believe in repetition. I believe in hard reps. I believe in training something until you're, you you can never forget it. But when something super mm, repetitive gets called a sensitivity exercise, right. I, I, I start to go... At least mm, call it a timing drill. Yeah, or, or some basic skill drill for, right. for lack if, if of a better a, term. Like, right? like I, I have no problem if you want to refer to that as a timing drill. We're going to mm-hmm. learn... We're going to do... The poxau drill to learn how to break from that timing, or mm-hmm. that, or to close the distance while parking, or something—that's fine. But the goal of the sensitivity drill, I agree, is ridiculous. But what I also kind of feel is kind of weird about that whole thing is that it's kind of like, oh, this is Wing Chun, and right. and 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 when I look at it, and this is what I tweeted, I said like, actually, I'm gonna pull up the tweet because um my uh. My brain right now on jet lag is is not as smart as I was a few days ago. So let me let me pull up the right thing because I I had a couple like um, when I tweeted I I did more than one tweet I did a few of them there because I was kind of like on full rant mode. Okay, here we go. So I go when Styles borrow drills from Wing Chun, they often reduce the system to some mechanized orgy of pak and lap while missing a single intrinsic element of the system. So much stuff. So, so little cool. Wing Chun. And I think that's my big issue. It's like these guys say this is a Wing Chun drill. And then they do something with Pak and Lop in it. But I don't actually see like the heart and soul of Wing Chun. Like where's the concept? Where's the going forward? Where's the going uh, attacking your partner's center, defending the center? It's no, it's this stuff in the air with the hands. And it's like – and. It's like, how can you put so many Wing Chun names in a drill with no Wing Chun in it? And I'm literally looking at the drill that is exactly that. It's like so much stuff, so little Wing Chun. And then I, I kind of go on about that's why they need to always say that, oh, this is just a drill. This is not it because they don't really know how it works in real fighting either. And then they also claim that it's sensitivity, but it's kind of weird because it's like super repetitive and, and super restricted as a drill. So how can it be about sensitivity when it's either pak pak lap or lap lap pak and nothing else? And also like when they reduce Wing Chun to these kind of silly drills, do they think like well, when Yip Man learned from his Sifu, he just saw his Sifu do like a couple pak and lap drills and he's like, all right, I guess I got this. And then somehow becomes a grandmaster of a style that people can now pick up by watching a couple videos on YouTube. So it's like, I don't know, the whole thing just kind of sent me off just watching it. Well, a few things. Um, okay, so JKD is the obviously the worst offender when it comes to this. JKD people um, nauseingly, I don't know the right word, say this so often it makes me nauseous, that they develop this JKD eye. And they could just look at a style and pull out what's useful. And for some reason, they think they can pull out of Wing Chun this bastardized version of some hand drills. Um, Pak Sao drill, Lop Sao drill, Chi Sao, things to that effect. And I find that when it comes to JKD people teaching quote-unquote Wing Chun drills, the further you get away from them learning them from a Wing Chun Sifu, the worse the drills are. So what happens is, at some point, there was JKD people 
doing Wing Chun drills to get better at Jeet Kune Do, and they learned the Wing Chun drills from Wing Chun people. Right. They had a basis in Wing Chun. They knew the first form. They knew some about maybe the second form. And they were educated in Wing Chun drills by a Wing Chun established Wing Chun Sifu. And then they taught their students. And then their students taught their students. And it got worse and worse and worse. Until it gets to the point, and this happens very quickly. It doesn't have to be over four generations. It literally happens over one or two generations. The quote-unquote Wing Chun drills are patty cake. It, they're, they're, they're bullshit. They're nothing. In fact, I will go even further. I'll go even stronger in saying that the Wing Chun drills, the quote-unquote Wing Chun drills that are taught in many of the Jeet Kune Do schools that I know of will, in fact, harm your development. They will, they will retard your development as a martial artist. They will make you a worse fighter. And they are not actual Wing Chun drills. They are, they are drills that the instructor, I think, truly believes are Wing Chun drills. And they'll look at, oh, this is Chi Sao. And it kind of sort of looks like what Chi Sao looks like. But the heart and soul and core dynamics and elements of real Chi Sao are not there. So by doing these Wing Chun drills, and I say that Wing Chun with quote air quotes on them, in these JKD schools, they are actually hurting their own development as a fighter. Um, I one time upset a JKD person, a rather famous JKD person, by asking them a question which I probably should have did off a public forum instead of on a public forum, but I was being a dick, so I didn't. I did it on the public forum. They had just did this post about all the sensitivity they developed doing chi sao, bong sao, what they call bong, bong sao, lap sao drill, and, and pak sao drill, all the sensitivity they developed, that their skin can feel the slightest little alteration and lack of energy and enter and all this other fucking bullshit. And then the, literally the next post they did, someone asked a question about, um, did they ever, someone said, oh, Sifu, blankety blank. Did you ever break a, the arm on a jong? And he said, oh, I have done I'm numerous times because with the jong, you have to kind of deaden all the skin on your forearms and you bang the jong as hard as you can to deaden all the sin so that nothing can stop your punch coming through. And I'm like, okay, I'm fucking confused. How can we develop all this sensitivity doing one drill, and then literally the next drill you write about is how to deaden the arm? <laughs> Essentially bringing you back to where you started. <laughs> like, does anybody else see the bullshit in this? <laughs> Well, well, you you remember Bruce Lee's ranking system where the first rank is like white, right? And then you get like the other ranks, and they're all like fancy, and then the final top rank is also white again. You return. Right. Maybe he meant that it's like you develop all the sensitivity, and then you destroy it. And you're back to where you started. Right, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's how we interpreted the ranking system. And and it led me to re remember and realize that you know I I had learned. Um, I learned some air-quoted Wing Chun drills from some JKD people, and this was before Steve Golden. And, you know, these were some good instructors, man. These were some good instructors. Well-meaning people. I'm not knocking them as people or as instructors because I do believe that what they would... They believed in what they were teaching, and what they were teaching, they taught very well. The mm -hmm. problem is the, the product sucked. So, and they didn't know. So, like, they thought they were teaching me Wing Chun drills in a JKD environment. And it was a lot of, like, hand chasing, off-center type stuff. Um, very mechanical, very choreographed. And the first time I did Chi Sao, 
with Steve Golden, he just said, stop. He said, stop by punching me. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, well, I'm doing Chi Sao. And he goes, no, no, you're doing something you're calling Chi Sao. You're doing something that someone standing 10 feet away, look at, look at me and say, hey, he's doing Chi Sao. But if someone that understood Chi Sao was touching hands with you, the last thing they would call it would be Chi Sao. And this really opened my eyes. And it was a problem for me because I was so engrossed and so entrenched in what I had learned. And in fact, I had made it even worse than I was taught. Right. And like, and I didn't do it to be a dick. I made it worse thinking I was making it better. Like, you know, my heart was in the right place, but I was coming at it from a bad place. You know, I started adding more repetition, more, more patty cake into it, more hand chasing because it looked cool. I didn't in my head say, hey, this looks cool. But I said, oh, look, that looks good. That would be good if the guy, you know, now who are doing this and he comes in a round punch and I throw my hands up to the side and then come slide. You know, it was just a fucking mess. And I was making it worse. And like, it was systematically bad. Even though my heart was in the right place, what I the product that I was teaching was poor. Mm-hmm. And I and I think not that I think, I'm sure that for JKD people to use Wing Chun terminology to say that they're teaching a Pak Sao drill or a Lap Sao drill or a Chi Sao or any of these other quote unquote Wing Chun drills that JKD people do, they have to stop what they're doing and go back to Wing Chun. And they have to go back to Wing Chun that's not affiliated with JKD. There's too many, there's so many Wing Chun schools now that are so engrossed with JKD that it's rare, I'm not saying it's not impossible, because I know of schools where the Wing Chun is top notch and the JKD is top notch, and like, and it's in the same school and it's great. I'm not knocking a specific school. I'm, I'm knocking these schools that where the teachers were taught by JKD people trying to teach Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I remember a, uh, I had a JKD teacher, and I've had several, so there's, no one can call it any specific one, a JKD teacher who corrected my uh, first form, my Wing Chun first form, and, oh, no, you're going to do first form this way. Okay, Sifu. And why why am I going to do it that way? Oh, because of this. Okay, makes sense. And we're going to change the way you do this drill. We're going to change the way you do this drill. And I, I did it because he was the Sifu and I was a student. It was a Jeet Kune Do school. And in my head, JKD people, well, hell, they could teach any art, you know. And it wasn't until I started training with Steve Golden, who has a strong Wing Chun background. He learned Wing Chun. He learned Wing Chun drills from Bruce Lee, who learned it from some guy in Hong Kong. And, and, he, and he learned Wing Chun outside of that in a strict Wing Chun environment. So he has a strong Wing Chun base. And then, I, so it wasn't until I started training with Steve Golden and Tom Kagan that I really started understanding the essence of the air-quoted Wing Chun drills they teach in Jeet Kune Do. And, and JKD owes Wing Chun a huge apology because JKD students do this not just to, not just to Wing Chun, though. They do it to so many different arts. They do it to Muay Thai. They do it to, to Kali. They do it to some... You know, when you take, like, Guru Dan who is a brilliant martial artist and learns from the sources. You know what I mean? Guru Dan learns from the sources. He didn't learn Kali from some, some moron who learned it from somebody else. He learned Kali from Kali masters. He, you know, Guru Dan learned Wing Chun from, from top Wing Chun people. But his people, I'm not saying all his people, 
a lot of JKD people tend to just learn from either their JKD Sifus or from people that are authorized to teach them by their JKD Sifus. They never step out of the bubble and go to some other lineage, some other, someone, a, a person of that arc that's not involved with the JKD community at all. And I think that has led to the detriment. Now, again, I'm not saying all, all JKD people, and I'll stay right here on the podcast, you all can kick my fat ass. I'm not saying I'm the better fighter or the better teacher or anything to that effect. I'm just saying as someone who's taken a step back and, and looked at an arc that they love, and I love Jeet Kune Do, and I love Wing Chun, and I see, oh, well, you know what? This is wrong. This has been done wrong. And one of the things that has been done wrong is that the, the drills of other systems are being taught by people that didn't learn them in those systems. And they don't understand the intricacies of the drills. And there are things I continue to learn about Wing Chun drills that I just, you know, now I say, oh my God, how all these years, I never thought of that. And in fact, it was, it, it was only about two years ago that um, David Peterson had posted, uh, one of David Peterson's students posted, posted, posted these drills, these videos of him with, um, oh, what's his name? A gentleman, I think he's in Belgium, I'm not sure of his name. Anyway, he, he posted these videos of him and David Peterson doing these drills, and he was explaining something in a drill, and it was like the penny dropped. I was like, oh my God, how did I never even come up with that in my head? It made perfect sense for the first time. And I wrote David Peterson a message, a private message on Facebook. And I was like, you know, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to say I never thought of this before. But mm-hmm. I, I never thought of this before. I cannot believe that. And it and and I think the further we get away, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, Alex. So I just the 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 further we get away from learning from the actual sources of these systems, the more it's gonna cause a detriment to, to the arts and a detriment to the students, you know? And, and, it's, and it's happening now with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, some JKD, I know JKD, I know JKD people that have taken these one month Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu courses and paid $10,000. And it's this like super intense, blah, blah, blah. And they're awarded a blue belt or something. And they teach simple Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu And now can hang on their sign that they do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And you can't tell me that it's it's legit Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Because maybe in the beginning, when he teaches what he exactly learned, but then at some point he's going to, you know, add to it. Like, I know one guy who, to his guard, his guard work, his mountain guard work, added, like, Oh, Jesus. So you, I went into school. This was a long time ago. I went into school. And I saw all of his guys there. And everybody's sitting in on mount. And they're all working Bong Sao in mount. And I was like, what the fuck are they doing? And he was... The, the reason for the lesson was that so you can deal with punches being thrown down on you when someone has you mounted. What? So now this guy was bastardizing two arts. Yeah, that's ridiculous. In the name of Ji Kune Do. Right. He was bastardizing a Wing Chun drill and bastardizing a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu drill. And I think, I mean, not that I think, I am sure he was doing it from a good place. Yeah, with In good his intentions. heart, he thought... Right. He was doing, hey, listen, I have this great idea. I'm going to combine this awesome aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and this awesome aspect of Wing Chun, and I'm going to combine the two of them. And then, I swear to God, I swear to the baby Jesus, they all pull out wooden knives and start doing hubud, lubud. 
So now they added in a, a Cali joke. All to their rolling around on the ground. Right. And this is just an infection in Jeet Kune Do. And that's why when you hear people talk about keeping Jeet Kune Do pure, the purity of what Bruce Lee taught, and people like wrinkle up their nose and say, that's not what Bruce Lee wanted. He wanted freedom. Yes, I get that Bruce Lee wanted freedom. But I think at some point, if we keep what was actually taught, and then if you're going to add or subtract, add and subtract at will, but stop calling it what Bruce Lee did. Right. And, and I only say that because if you're going to add to it, you're going to add, you're, there's a chance you're going to fuck it up. So <clears throat> either so take ownership of it. Take ownership of it. If you're going to change it, take ownership. And, and or if you're going to change it, bring in people that know what the fuck they're doing. You know. Um, Bring in Matt Thornton and say, hey, I want to add a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu aspect to my school. Can I bring you in for seminars four times a year? And or who in your community do you suggest that I do? You know, if you want to bring in wrestlers, you want to start wrestling, bring in fucking wrestlers. They'll wrestle with you. You know, if you want to learn Wing Chun, train with Wing Chun people. But now, don't go to Wing Chun School and say, um, "Listen, I'm a JKD Sifu, so I want to learn just the you know these six aspects of your art, so I can go teach them right. to my students." Fuck yeah. that. Yeah, I get that occasionally. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sure you do. Go learn Wing Chun. When I started learning Wing Chun from from Tom Kagan, I didn't say to Tom, "Okay, I, I know all of this, so just you know correct it." Right. We started off with Form One. And he punched me a lot because I was dead. <laughs> you know, you, you need to learn from the sources of those arts, not from JKD people. Even if you, even if you believe them to be good intentions, because I'm sure they are. And I'm sure in their head, they're like, oh, well, no, I'm not doing that. Yes, you are. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you are. That's all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. Awesome, though. I mean, well, that was definitely more your wheelhouse because, uh, I mean, definitely Wing Chun people sometimes, sometimes teach nutty, nutty shit, shit, but, but um, at, at, at least, least it's something like what they're supposed to be teaching. And my, my issue is always when somebody who's not a Wing Chun instructor says they're teaching a Wing Chun drill and I look at it. As somebody, As somebody who's dedicated, dedicated a majority, majority of my life to the art of Wing Chun, I go like, yeah, I don't really see any Wing Chun in there. I see some stuff called Pak Sao and Lap Sao, but Wing Chun is not the the sum of techniques with the name Sao at the end of it. It is it's about a concept of fighting and interaction. And when I don't see that present, it, for me, it's not Wing Chun. And, and I've seen Wing Chun people teach some fucked up shit, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, really fucked up shit, like... Like, I don't know where the fuck they're coming from with some shit. Like, I've seen some Wing Chun people do stuff that I'm like, wow, someone, they joined a cult. <laughs> this, this is, this is bad. So speaking of uh, problems between Wing Chun styles, I uh, wanted to teach you some Cantonese today, which is also a, a motto or a kunkut that is a bit uh, controversial. Oh, okay, cool. So um, this one is Pak Sao Geloi Moon. Pak Sao Geloi Moon. Yeah, not bad, not bad. So Pak Sao, Pak you know, Sao. is Pak Sao, right? Gay, gay is like a low tone, right? Gay. Loi. Loi. Or, or noi means inside. Right. right. And then moon is gate or door, right? Pak Sao, so, gay. Yeah. Gay loi moon. Gay loi moon. Yeah, so what this one means is that, uh, Pak, well, here's the controversy. Pak Sao, you know, all right, slapping hands. Yeah, and then the last two characters, Noi Moon or Loi Moon. Most Cantonese they don't like to pronounce the the sound of N. They change it to an L. Right. Hence, Hence the, the whole, whole thing, thing with Siu Nim Tao or Lim Tao. 
Nim is the correct educated Cantonese uh, way of speaking it, but Lim is how most Hong Kong Chinese will say it. Okay. So if, if any Chinese words supposed to begin with an N sound, they literally just change it to L. Right, right, right. It's 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 called the kind of the modern lazy Cantonese speak. Sure. So, anyway, the problem is the character in the middle, that gay character, <laughs> that literally that gay character in the middle, uh, can mean to avoid, can mean beware. So therein lies the problem because what this motto is saying is either, Paxao avoids the inside gate. Or Paxel, be careful in the inside gates. Right. So, so there, there are, are a couple, couple of Yip Man students, students who uh, are on the side. Uh, they're, they're on team. team. This means no, no such, such thing as indoor Paxel exists or should exist. And then there's the majority of Yip Man's team, which believes it just means you need to be careful when doing an indoor Paxel because it has its liabilities. We know for a fact that many of Grandmaster Yeoman students perform indoor Paxel. They do it from the Punzhou stage. They do it mm -hmm. from different exercises. Um, <clears throat> it's not without its liabilities, but there are ways around it. And we also know that there is a famous photo of Grandmaster Yeoman performing indoor Paxel. He's actually right. doing it against um, Robert Chan, who's one of Bruce Lee's friends. Who's that muscled Chinese guy with yeah, the yeah, tank sure, top, right? He's doing the indoor Paxel, right? But there are some students of Yeoman who swear up and down. Uh, that there is no indoor Paxao in Wing Chun. So anyway, so that is Paxao Geloi Mun. Paxao Geloi Mun. Yes, yes, the controversial Wing Chun motto. <laughs> it's difficult because the auditor, the audio format of our podcasts makes it difficult. For, like, because I would very much like if if this was a more video presentation to kind of go like, all right. Like and have somebody here and then show it right, and then right, show right, like sure. the different like why we do it this way and and why you can get away with it when you can't get away with it and and how this could potentially work in a fight as opposed to just saying like well we do it this way the other people don't it always just that sounds a bit pretentious <laughs> like you don't give the other side their due diligence the indoor paxo is definitely something that is very dangerous which is why it can only be done. Uh, in distance, close range, when certain conditions avail themselves. You don't just like wantonly go to the indoor gate and pax out the inside of someone's hand. They're just going to crush you with their second hand. Right, right, right. Um, but there are certain situations where both of your hands are sticking to your partner's arms. And then you can do it if you have enough forward pressure and you smother the back arm and so on and so forth. So um, how, what do you feel about indoor pax out? I, you know what? I, I am of the belief that... Uh... It, it it means just be careful while doing it because it yeah. presents it it presents i tend to okay i tend to look at things as how would i plan against it and i would rather my opponent use endopoxal than not use endopoxal mm -hmm. so i feel like if if need be use it train it but train it with the idea that this is something i want to avoid Right. I want to have the ability to do it if need be, I, but I don't want to plan for it. Exactly. I want it. I want it to be something, a tool I have but don't want to use, than a tool I need but don't have. Wow, it's a great way of putting it. That's how I look at it. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. That's really great. I think actually that's great advice, not just for indoor packs out, but just for, in general, for anything. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Um, Hey, we're coming up on an hour here. We yeah, just I think we're a couple time up there, buddy. Uh, a couple things that are coming up. Uh, for those of you in the Boston area on June 1st, uh, Jim Rosalando is doing his awesome yearly Wing Chun seminar where he's got three Sifus there. Uh, I'm unfortunately not going to be there this year, or fortunately, I don't know. Maybe you came and you don't like me there. Who knows? Either way, uh, Sifu Phil Romero from uh, the Hawkins Chang lineage is going to be there. Uh, obviously, Jim Rosalando from Pinsan Wing Chun. And uh, I believe Mark Phillips is also going to be there as well. And so it's those three Sifus. They teach like from 1 to 7 p.m. It's at the Brazilian Martial Arts Center, which is in some suburban area there near Boston. If you guys are interested, 
look up Jim Rosalando on Facebook and get all the deets from him. Uh, it's great. I taught it for a couple of years, and it's a really great group of guys who go up there and meet and train Wing Chun in a kind of ego-free environment. So definitely, definitely recommend that. Also, I have an event coming up at the end of June. Uh, it's my yearly ITC, which is the Intensive Training Camp. That's from June 24th to the 30th. So for those of you who are interested, especially those of you who come from the WT line, uh, Monday through Friday training is six hours a day with yours truly. Whoa. And if you're interested in that, uh, you can email info, that's uh, I-N-F-O, at citywt.com. That's info at citywt.com. Every year I open this camp for a couple people who are outside of our uh, association. It's really geared towards training people who are instructors in my association. But every year I open five slots for people who are not part of the City Wing Chun Athletic Association just so that they can come in and try something different. Um, I only open five slots because all my guys obviously get priority. But if you're interested in one of those five slots, uh, send us an email, info at citywt.com. And I believe one of those slots has already been taken, so we have four slots. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and uh, that is all for me, Sean. This was really great. Look forward to doing it again next week. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. Be good, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!